It's no surprise that Mike Rhodes has built a search engine marketing business of significant repute. If you looked at the timeline and events of Mike's journey, you could possibly argue that one couldn't map things out better. He didn't want to be an electrical engineer, so he moved into computing. He didn't want to necessarily live in the UK, so he moved to Australia. And when he came to Australia, he didn't just get a job. He got a job working at Elliston, the country home of Kerry and James Packer. Why kill a lamb when you can murder a sheep? He wanted to sell the e-myth revisited, but ended up selling Google AdWords. Talk about being born under a lucky star. The results speak for themselves, and the rest, as they say, is history. Enjoy hearing about how AdWords has evolved, and get some tips from the very best, a guy who's been in the ecosystem for near on 20 years. Mike Rhodes, founder and CEO, Web Savvy. Welcome to Discipline. <laughs> Thank you for inviting me on. It's good to be here. Now, you started your uh, life uh, studying at the University of Kent. Oh, wow. You've done your research. Yes, what did, I did. What did you get? What did you study? And uh, what happened when you left university? Okay, I need to give you a little bit of context there because before I went to Kent, I went to Loughborough. Um, I came out of doing O levels and A levels way back in the UK a long time ago. And I applied to do electrical engineering yeah. at Loughborough University. And about three weeks before the first term started, I woke up one morning, what have I done? I don't want to be an electrical engineer. But Loughborough wouldn't let me change to anything outside of engineering. So I couldn't change to anything else. Okay, well, what engineering courses do you have? And I've always wanted to be a pilot. I wanted to be a helicopter pilot since I was five years old. So I picked aeronautical engineering and design. Yeah. Sounded good. Went off to university. I lasted a term and half an hour. And, and is it because your maths wasn't good enough or because too many contact hours? Too many beers. <laughs> so it was like 37 and a half hours. I don't know why I remember that number of timetabled contact hours. Yeah. And you were expected to do the same again in your own time. Now, Loughborough is an engineering university. Yeah. But it's also a sports sounds, university. Sounds like, it actually sounds like a kind of beer. Loughborough. <laughs> Sorry. Um, 10% of some of the best sporting people in the UK who all happened to be my mates in that first term. So I'd be out six nights a week drinking with all the sporty crowd while all my mates were going and doing all their engineering. Came home at Christmas. Everyone's like, my grand's asking me, how's the university, dear? Oh, it's great. It's really good fun. Blah, blah, blah. And then driving back up, I suddenly go cold, like four weeks of holiday. And I kind of just went, what am I doing? Yeah. And I, I remember it so well. This is completely useless for your podcast, but... Um, First lecture back on the Monday morning was maths, 9 till 11. I had a textbook that was about three inches thick. And literally like half an hour into that, I just got up and walked out. I left my textbook on the desk. I knew I'd never need it again. And I just walked out. And that was an interesting week. I had to call my mum and dad on the Wednesday night. I can picture the phone box I was in to call my mum and dad. This is a long time before phones were invented, kids. And I dropped out. And I thought they were going to go ballistic, but they were brilliant. And I basically spent the next few months uh, doing odd jobs and helping out this small business guy that I knew. And that was like my entree into small business. Yeah. Like, this is awesome. Yeah. And then I went to Kent studying business, yeah. which at the end of that, they offered us at the end of the second year, would you like to change your degree to business with computing? 
me and my mate kind of looked at each other and went, that sounds like it might be useful later on. Let's do that. Awesome. And so that's how I got a business degree, first class honours from Kent University. And after Kent, it looks like you've, you've travelled. So you ended up living in New Zealand for a bit. Yeah, I, I went for a wander around the world after uni. I came back and worked for the most prestigious helicopter company in the UK yep. for three years. That was fabulous. We had clients like, you know, the Queen. You weren't flying, though. I wasn't flying. No. no, no. But occasionally I'd have to jump in the second seat wearing a white shirt and pretending to be a second pilot. But don't let the lawyers know about that one. Um, I wasn't flying. I was doing flight ops. And I met some amazing people in that. One of them was Kerry Packer's pilot, the guy, Nick, who gave his kidney to KP, if you remember that story years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So Nick has a place in Sydney. And so I'd always heard about Australia from my dad. I'd spent a fair bit of time here when I was backpacking around the world. I said to my boss, I'm going to take two months off. Are you? Yes. Okay. To go to to go to Australia and see if it's where I want to to live for the rest of my life. And so Nick put me up for a couple of weeks. So I went up to Elliston, yeah, up well, in Scone. Yeah, it's near... Um... He picked me up in a helicopter at the train station. That's a whole other long story. But we flew over these hills and then suddenly you come over the rise and there's seven billiard table flat polo fields in the middle of the Australian bush. And yeah. we had the best time chopping down wood and servicing helicopters. Well, not me servicing helicopters, but, you know, helping out. Oh, the go-karts. A friend of Nick comes up and it's putting away the go-karts at the end of the season. You know, James has had his fun with his mates. KP's getting too old. But we need to, we need to before we put these things in the shed for the winter, we need to service them all. So I spent two days of them handing me a go-kart and going, now we've just done the tyres on this one. Take it easy for five laps. That's all we need. This one, we've done the engine and everything. We need about 50 laps on it, please. Off you go. Sounds Take it easy for the first five laps. Easy. It was Brilliant. It yeah. was so good. I beat KP's personal record. I never beat James's record. It was fantastic. And then, yeah, after all of that, I went back to Australia and said, yes, it was bloody amazing. I'm emigrating. Yeah. But I went via NZ yeah. because I just, I, I love the mountains. I love the snow. And so I went to live in Queenstown for a bit. I think I was planning to spend three months there and just one ski season. Ended up staying for three years. Started my first business there built that up in 18 months and then sold that off and moved to Sydney in 2001. And now you and I were both living in Sydney around 2001. I don't remember how our paths crossed in 2001, but they did. And we were both starting our businesses, you with Web Savvy and me with the Full Circle Group. Yeah. And we've somehow managed to keep in touch for all of these years, but I don't know how our paths crossed. Maybe it was an accountant in common or a a meeting with I don't remember either actually because that's a long time ago and I'm old now so yeah but yeah thank god they did eh? they did and <laughs> you've gone from like I did one person on a kitchen table yep to 24 people here in this incredible office I mean it's a great journey but you managed to pick the right thing to do search very engine marketing very very lucky i saw a bloke in 2004 who's now my co-author uh, perry marshall he was kind of the godfather of google ads at the time called google adwords back then um saw him present google adwords in 2004 and went oh my god that's all these small businesses i've been talking to and consulting with that's what they want and need because Every business that I went, I tried to sell the E-Myth system, Michael Gerber's yep. system into businesses. And I was going to go and systemize their business. And yep. they would all say, mate, 
I just need a few more clients. Like, <laughs> which module of those seven modules is more client? Oh, this one over here, module five. Yeah. Okay, could you sell me module five? And oh, I can't do that. It's Gerber. It's a system. Yes. You know, it's like the Amway of its time. Systemize everything. Yeah, and you had to work on your mindset first and systemize things first before you could get to lead generation and, and more clients. Mate, I just want module five. Sell me module five. Can't do that. Get out of my office. And then I saw this Google Ads thing. I'm like, oh my God, this is what... This is what they all, they've all been asking me for. Yeah. It makes total sense. Only show an ad to the person that's searching for what you've got. Only pay if they're interested enough and actually click on your ad. And back then, obviously, everything was, you know, this is, and this is five cents a click. This is, yeah, this is at the time where Google have gone from just a, a passive search engine to someone in the VC world saying to Sergey and um, Larry, Guys, you've got to monetize this. Yeah. And I thought, well, paid advertising seems like a good idea. And it was a very simple ecosystem, I guess, but... Very, very simple. So they started in 2002. This was 2004. I went back to my mastermind group, hair on fire, talking about this new thing, Google Ads. And one of the guys in the mastermind group said, mate, I don't want you to consult. I'll give you half my business. Come and do that thing for me in the business. And we sold a hundred grand's worth of Ugg boots in the next three and a half weeks. Yeah, amazing. we turned on the Google AdWords account. I learned as I went. Like the first day, we literally spent twenty dollars, and by the end of the two weeks, we were spending over a grand a day. Because I'm like, I've got this dialed in. Let's put the budgets up a bit. Oh, that's, that bit's going wrong. Fix that bit. Come over here. Oh, let's put it up again. And it's just like when you get it right, it's a tap that you can turn on or turn down as much as you like. And it kind of is still that way today. It's just. Massively more complicated now than it was in 2004. I remember at the, at the time there was also Yahoo ads and that's gone the way of the dinosaur. Yes. Um, but the, the thing is with these things is that, um, you know, now there's so much competition mm. for the clicks. Back in those days, as you say, it was five cents. Now for $20, you're probably only getting a couple of clicks depending on what your search domain depending is. Depending on the market, yeah. Um, so as you've evolved, you've had to evolve with an ecosystem that's now incredibly large, incredibly complex, and so many moving parts of yep. search engine marketing. How have you managed to keep on top of all this and still become an expert in this field? That's a great question. Um, I guess being curious is probably the most important trait. I mean, in any business, right? I, uh, a mate of mine in the States tweeted something like this the other day saying to of all the people I know that at the top of their field, they still spend even you know, 20 years in, and at least an hour a day on their education, whether that's listening to podcasts, audio books, reading, reading yep. at night. So you know, I, I probably, I remember saying to someone a few years ago, I spend two hours a day on my education. These days, it's probably more like an hour because I've got two little kids. But I do still listen to something or read something. I try and do that. Does, Every single day. Does watching the cricket and footy count as education? Yeah. Yeah. Bonus points, maybe? <laughs> but yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, the business and, and there's never been more information around us to consume, right? It's, it is so easy. Oh. You just walk past our library here. We've got a thousand business books out there that anyone on the team can take and read. Yep. And we have an unlimited Audible and Amazon account. If there's a book you need... Go buy it, please. Don't you know, stick in an expense account. And I'll it. come to books because there's a okay. couple that you've written as well that okay. probably sitting in that uh, library out there. But when did you first realise, you know, you, you've done $100,000 worth of Ugg boots. When did you realise this is a business and I can actually make a, a really good living out of it? So little after that, I was trying to teach basically anybody that I could bump into about how amazing this thing was. 
and I've discovered through this process that I am a teacher at heart, um, which is why we've gone on to have like the training side of the business and the book and all of that stuff. But for nine out of 10 people, they said, mate, it's lovely, but I don't really care how you do it. Just do, do it, it for me, do would it. you please? Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I did wander off and run someone else's business for a year and a half straight after that. But that was a chance to put myself on stage and learn public speaking, which Robert Kiyosaki had told me was something I needed to do because one-to-one teaching or one-to-one selling for that matter is is too slow. He said, you need to learn one-to-many. You need to learn public speaking. An amazing opportunity fell in my lap in 2005 uh, to run this kind of quasi public speaking slash event management company. Uh, it's how I met my wife. I'm very happy I took the job. Three weeks in, I found myself in Kota Kinabalu in oui. Borneo oui. Uh, and then climbing Mount Kinabalu shortly after that. Wow. I went to Vietnam. I went to Fiji more times than I could count, Singapore, like all over this region running events and then put myself on stage like it was kind of my original devious plan Uh, and I absolutely sucked but it was only for five minutes and then the next time I got 15 minutes and I sucked a little less and the next time I got 20 minutes and and that's how the sort of the the speaking side and then through that what the gig was because your background's radio or part of your background um, it was actually a gig for a radio company. So they would bring their best 40 direct clients along. Yep. We would supply the half a dozen speakers. And so I would be sitting there. So the first day's dog and pony show and the next three days was consulting. And it was really hard for us to find people that could do speaking and consulting. Most would be really good at one, terrible at the other. And I'd been doing some consulting for the last few years. I was learning public speaking and really, really wanted to get good at it. And so for three days in a row, I would be sitting in front of the CEOs of amazing companies like Winston Blind, Swimwear Galore, National Tiles, hello. Yeah. Um, and these amazing companies that were these big direct radio clients who were spending a lot on radio and knew nothing about digital. Yeah. And so the agency was really born from them saying, mate, I know you keep saying, look, I'm not here. To, I would always say, look, I'm not here to sell you anything. I'm here as the guest of the radio station. No, mate. I wish you would sell something because we really need you. Oh, okay. I needed to be whacked on the head with that piece of two before a few times before I was smart enough to start an agency. But I started the agency off the back of that and, and had basically we grew pretty quickly because of those people like Frank Walker, bless him, who backed me. Swimwear Galore, Kaz at Swimwear Galore was my second ever client in yeah. 2007 and she's still a client today. Really? Well, that's an interesting thing because in your industry, there has been a lot of fly-by-nighters. Oh, yeah. A lot of sharks in this industry. So the fact that you've got clients for over, you know, a decade is testament to the fact that you're not a fly-by-nighter. You're very diligent, very thorough, very honest with your approach. Why does this industry attract so many people who just shaft others and give give it a bad Mm. reputation? I don't know. I've never really thought about that. Um, I guess there's, there's... there's no real barrier to entry. Yeah. Anyone can go and do a social media course on the weekend and then hang their shingle up and they're all of a sudden they're a social media guru. Yeah. And, and maybe that's it. They're, it's a bit of a black box for clients. They don't understand what goes well, yeah, on. Yeah. It's like if I go to an accountant, I don't know how to pick a good accountant because I have no idea how to judge one against the other. Most businesses don't know how to hire an agency and you don't know if you're getting the guy who's 
in his pajamas at the kitchen table, or you get in the 150 person firm, which is a sales organization pretending to be a digital agency. Yeah. Um, or someone in the middle, like a boutique agency like us that actually cares um, about getting the right result and yeah. won't implement everything that Google tell us to implement because that's great for Google, but not the best thing for our clients. Um, I know I've just always played the long game. I've always just, I've always loved the business of business and I don't, I, I saw, who was that? I, an interview with someone the other day. Um, Jay-Z, I think it might've been. I'm, I think I have a horrible feeling I'm getting it wrong, but I think it was Jay-Z interviewing Ray Dalio. And it was funny, like here's two billionaires, right? And they're both saying, I never got in this for the money. And I'm yelling at the screen going, yeah, like yeah. I didn't go to set up an agency because I could see there was this trend and, oh, we could probably make a lot of money if we go down. It was just like, here's a bunch of businesses with a problem and they're confused yeah. and I want to help them. Yeah. And I've just always loved helping businesses grow. Yeah. Um, and, and then I've realized over the years that it's actually about taking near future technology. What's just around the corner? Because like asteroid mining is Cool, but that's 30 years away and I have no idea how to help people make money from that. Yeah. What's just around the corner? What's the leverage within that? What's the 80-20 of that that grows business? And, and I have just love being in the center of those three circles. And I look back and realize that's exactly what Google Ads was in 2004. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just went, oh my God, this is what they all want and need. And I know how to do it or I figure I can learn how to do it because it really wasn't that hard back then. And I'd hate to be starting today. Oh, I've, I've looked at it again because I remember doing it back in 2002. Right. And I've been back into the ecosystem in the last couple of months to look at it. And I went, my God, this is nothing <laughs> like 2002. You need, back then you could just be one uh, focused on search engine marketing. Mm. Now within search engine marketing, there's little niches within search engine marketing and, and, and all the apps that link into it. And, you know, you can integrate HubSpot and MailChimp. Yes, it's just yeah. unbelievable. And it just keeps on going. I mean, for us, Google and Facebook are completely different. Like so many businesses would have a digital person, right? And they're supposed to be doing ads and SEO and maybe looking after the website. We don't do SEO because we think it's a completely different discipline, totally different skill set. My guys out there, we've got a Google team and a Facebook team. It's very rare that someone can work on both because they are so different. Yeah. And then even just within Google, you've got, let's say, copywriting, the code of all of the tracking stuff. You've got the pivot tables and the maths of like optimizing. Those three skills alone rarely live in the same brain. And that was kind of the epiphany early on of like, why am I trying to hire these mythical unicorns that can do a pivot table and write copy and all the other stuff that we want and just starting to sort of specialize a bit more and... What did, oh, okay, you're really, really good at code. How about you only do code for our clients? That means I can only start on 20 hours a week, but we'll get you to full-time really, really quickly. And we're in this amazing world with sites like Freelancer and Upwork where you can hire the best person at a Salesforce Google Analytics integration that you can find, but you only need them two hours a week, and they're happy to work for you two hours a week. Yeah. And so it's be, I suppose it's the, the confluence of all of those trends that's helped us survive and thrive and be where we are now it's just fun <laughs> so tell me i've got let's say i'm a business mm. and i'm i'm looking at you know search engine marketing whether it be facebook or, or google or whatever mm. um what what are you telling me you're telling me that you can increase my sales just how does it all work well first thing is you know who are you what, what industry you're in where do you notice your competitors online uh, do you notice all your competitors on facebook or are they on google or, or 
YouTube or are they doing display ads, banner ads, you know, remarketing? Is that a big part of look look to them first because I don't like looking too heavily at competitors and certainly not copying what competitors are doing, but that'll give you some clues if you've never done any of this. SEO to me, and I'm a search engine marketing guy, so I am biased, but I don't think you should be doing SEO, which is search engine optimization, which essentially is uh, adding content to your site or tweaking your site to make Google rank you higher. Yeah, I don't think you should be starting that until you've done some paid ads because which keywords, which phrases yep. are you going after? What are the things that people type into Google that when they do leads to them taking the action that you want them to take on your site, whether that's filling in the little form, giving you a phone call, yep. buying your products yep. on there. So you've got to know the cause and effect, first of all. Yeah, because it's outcomes that matter. I yep. don't care if you're number one or number three or number 28 on Google for that particular keyword, right? And of course, everybody sees different results now because Google is run by AI and it knows you're on your phone right now. You don't live in Sydney, you're just visiting for a day and so you may be less likely or maybe more likely to buy depending on what you're searching for. So everybody's seeing different results all the time. Yeah, Google, when you search and you press enter, Google looks at 70 million data points in that blink of an eye in order to decide which ads and which results to show you on the page. That's extraordinary. And they're doing that 4 billion times a day. That's extraordinary. And on YouTube, which is the world's second biggest search engine owned by Google, and on Gmail, which also has a billion people using it every month, to decide which ads you need to see right now because of what you appear to be in the market for and what you appear to be shopping for recently and based on all the searching and the browsing and the sites that you've So it's not visited. like the old days where you'd auction a keyword no. and the more you pay, the more likely you were to get it to the top of the list. That still exists, but obviously, it's, yeah, it's way more complicated than that. And having a point of difference matters more. And I think we're at a, an inflection point at the moment too where because of data privacy and without getting really geeky here, but the, the the way things are tracked online is about to change fairly dramatically. Yeah, uh, Google just came out last week and said they will not use cookies in a couple of years. Yeah, I think we're going to be at the point where we actually all have to go and be marketers again, which yeah. is awesome. Yeah. Instead of just creative, data, yes, instead yes. of just data geeks crunching numbers, looking at a spreadsheet and saying we should put more money here because that's what my spreadsheet tells me. So I think we're at a point where creative starts to become more important. We have to be marketers again, but this time it's creative based on data. Yeah. So it's not the old days of John Wanamaker, uh, 50% is wasted, I don't know which half of yeah. my advertising works. But we need more creative ideas, but then experiment with those ideas, base the results on that on data where we have data, not everything can be measured. And it'll be this combination of creativity and data, I think, that yeah. will be the, the next well, it's decade. Funny. There's, there's, there's two things in that. One, someone said to me, who's been in marketing for decades, his mm. whole career's been in, in marketing, that the biggest change in marketing in recent times is the analytics, is the data that comes out where you can start to measure it. Um, the second thing that's really interesting is, you know, you talk about cookies and being mm. out of track. I don't know if you've seen The Greatest Hack with Cambridge yes. Analytica. Yeah. I mean, that's obviously one of the turning points that will sort of stop uh, all of this big tech companies being able to track our every move. It's kind of the start of the, the backlash. Yeah, really. I think and, so. And just how quickly that backlash can happen 
when it, when it happens, yeah. right? Um, who was the, oh, it'll come to me, a company recently that just went from being, oh, WeWork, just went from being an absolute darling to imploding yeah. within three weeks. It yeah. just all turned. Yeah. Well, actually, they say the reason WeWork turned is because someone actually brought a calculator to the table. <laughs> Well, it was good. pretty much the, the moment where they filed, right? And everybody got to see the yeah, paperwork. Yeah, look at the numbers. And all the journalists suddenly went, hang on a minute. This is just this real estate. But, but the knock-on effect of all of that, and now the, I can't remember the SoftBank guy's name, but now he's being called a charlatan and, you know, and there's a lot of money floating around, but yeah. I don't know how much... Uh, just Ethics, old, right. old school marketing, old school accounting, bring your calculator to the table, bring your creative hat. Yeah, making There's money. A, to yeah. stay a bit, eh, I don't know. It's a new concept, but yes. Well, talk to me about your writing. So obviously, you okay. know, you've, you've improved your public speaking because you've done uh, an incredible amount of uh, public speaking, but you also write. What, what, what do you achieve from this process of putting yourself out there? So... I will make a little distinction here, and I'll give you a worldwide exclusive possibly here. I author, I don't write. Right. So I, like yourself, probably have like 27 new ideas every day. Not short on the new ideas. I love the sort of synthesizing and, and, and seeing the patterns and creating frameworks. I love teaching, basically. And so the book was a natural progression. Perry, Perry Marshall asked me to be a co-author for the fourth edition of that book. So it was already the world's best-selling book on Google Ads. So I can't claim to have created that, but they needed someone that was on top of all of the technical side and all of those changes in the, I guess, three years since the third edition. And so they asked me to help write that. And I stared at a blank Word document for about three months. And we had about a four-month deadline for this thing. So with literally a month to go, I went, oh my God, I need to find a better way of writing books. And I've always loved mind mapping. So I mind map out the whole book and then I mind map out each chapter in pretty decent detail. And then I stand in front of one of these microphones and I talk through a chapter with my mind map. And then I send all of that off to an amazing writer who turns it into a chapter with examples and flowery bits and you know anecdotes I and need, metaphors. I need one of them. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, Brian, our third co-author, edits that because he's got the domain knowledge and then he takes my recording and the mind map, what the writer has put together, and then he just tweaks that, sends it back to me for a last look. And that's how we knocked off, gosh, I think I did about 20 chapters in the last three weeks. Wow. And I've just done the same thing again. Uh, in December, January. Uh, edition the, five? No, we're up to six. This oh, okay. is for six, which comes out uh, later this year. And I assume it's getting bigger because the complexity of the ecosystem is growing. So, so Tim Ferriss has this uh, learning sort of framework. It's, uh, if you've ever read 4-Hour Chef or heard of 4-Hour Chef, it's actually a book about learning disguised as a cookbook. Right. And he shares his, his framework for learning in there, which is this formula. So, so the first bit is you throw all the Lego pieces on the table. Yep. The job of the teacher is to figure out what's the 80-20 of this. Yeah. Of all the things I could teach you about Google Ads, what's, what's the 20% yeah. that's going to make 80% of the difference that I can fit in 300 pages? Great, great and then to, to put that in the right order, so I basically take you on the, the right narrative, the right flow through the book, because if I teach this bit here... Huh? What's that? I've got no context for that. So getting the framework right, and then the last S is stakes. Okay, here you go. Here's the book. Now it's on you. 
You don't have to go spend 20 grand in three weeks like I did, but you need to go learn on your own dime. A bit of Gerber in that as well. Yeah, probably. Systemising it. Systemising it. I love frameworks. Well, I mean, it's been incredible to see from 2002 to now that you've built an incredible business and, you know, I'm standing in your new office, which is also pretty schmick. And uh, what's the next couple of years look like for you? Um, Gosh, put me on the spot. Um... I basically just want to be the best dad I can be. So my younger daughter just started school yesterday. So that's an exciting first day. Oh, it's just it's How she's mum so ready. Mum's okay actually. Yeah. yeah, no tears this time around. I think we both cried first time around, but this time around, nah, everybody's good. Now Frankie is so ready. Um, her older sister Kiara is wonderful with her and she loves school so Frankie is just seeing that and uh, so just hanging out with them um passing on bits and pieces of you know dad jokes and dad knowledge oh god dad don't teach me more stuff um yeah they're turning into teenagers already and just hanging out with them and supporting this amazing crew here as much as possible you know helping our clients grow I think we've got I think it gets worse before it gets better in terms of global terms we were chatting at over breakfast about you know China and the recession that we probably are about to have and so there are going to be lots of businesses hurting there'll be lots probably wanting to cut costs massively but you know we all know that through the the dips and the recessions the, the businesses that have marketed themselves have come out of that stronger yeah, absolutely so in one sense we're really well positioned but i think there's going to be an awful lot of pain and a lot of blood and streets a lot of businesses that need help and we'll diversify our service offering we have you know, done a lot more ai machine learning stuff over the past couple yeah, of years yeah um i thought every business needed that i've, I've registered domains like machine learning as a service um, because I thought that was the thing. And I've realized that actually 99% of businesses don't need AI yet. They're not ready for AI. Before that, you need to be an analytics company. Before that, you actually have to value data. Um, and data is changing massively with yeah. the privacy. Yeah, things, yeah, and things like GDPR yeah. and you know something like GDPR will happen in Australia. Um, we'll have to get the lawyers playing with the digital side of things and I don't know it's going to be I think it's but as that changes that that means that you know someone like yourself and your team that stays top of their game you know companies have to come back to the world to to re-engineer their business and how their online presence works great and I think the biggest thing that we offer clients is we help you deal with the overwhelm we get you to tick stuff off your list and we take care of the mess for you so that you don't have to we want to be able to like this this thing that's getting in your way we want to just get that out of your yeah. way so you can focus on growing your business that's yeah. why we exist yeah um and there's just going to be more mess more confusion yep more overwhelm more change and more things that we can help with but yeah it, it means that we have to change our game probably significantly over yeah. the next three to five years and maybe even the next two to three well as you're a technical tinkerer I, <laughs> and staying interested and curious in this space i'm sure Curiosity. you and your guys will stay top of the pile Thank you. Now, we're going to finish with a quick fire round. Oh, okay. Um, who's your favourite band? Uh, Hilltop Hoods and Walk Off the Earth. Favourite author? Jesus. Uh, Bryce Courtney. Uh, favourite movie? <sighs> Star Wars. A New Hope? No, the first one. Yeah, I think it is A New Hope. 
Oh, well, the, the 1978 yeah, yeah, one. The original three. My kid was watching, Asher was watching that the other day. I watched it. And every time I walk past, I go, I watch two minutes. I end up watching the whole thing. <laughs> I've seen it 800 times, but it's still <laughs> as good as the first time. Um, if you could recommend one book, business book for someone, now that's really on the spot. I can oh. see by the look on your face. What would be the seminal book or the book that had the most impact on you? Well, there were two books that changed my life, and if I had to only pick one of them, it would be The Cash Flow Quadrant by Robert Kiyosaki. That gave me the why of why I should have my own business, and it also gave me a bit of the roadmap in going from small business owner to business owner. Can you walk away from your business for an extended time, come back and find it better than when you left it, all the way up to investor, which I've dabbled in a lot less than you, but that's probably my my path and, and getting involved in, in more businesses early on. So that book really, if that's spanning you know, 20 or plus years of my life, I'd say that probably had a fairly big impact on me. Take yourself back to 2002. Mm. What advice would you give <laughs> a young oh, Mike Rhodes going into business? I'm going to stick with a cliche here of, um, hey, that all works out okay. Don't. Don't worry so much. Don't don't sweat it as much. It, it all works out. Just stay curious. Maybe go to the gym a little bit more than you did. <laughs> stay healthy. Your body is really, really important. Yeah, if you worried less, that grey hair wouldn't be so prevalent on the side. And yeah, just just enjoy life. Be happy. Yeah. Great. Well, it's been exceptional, again, standing from the sidelines, seeing someone grow something from a complete seedling to what it is now, a powerhouse. Long may it continue. And um, thank you for your time and being on Discipline this morning. Thank you very much, mate. Pleasure.